This is Radio Ukraine International with the weekly program Ukraine Global, written by Victoria Krukova, presented by Vadim Kramer and produced by Irina Samsonova. This edition of Ukraine Global is about the war crimes Russia has been committing in Ukraine for more than a year and how we can work out the solutions to ending this bloody conflict. The following program will tell you about war crimes Russia has been committing in other parts of the world. Every war has its rules and customs. Only extremely cruel people can break the laws of war. The examples we present about Russian war crimes in Ukraine tell about the psychological and mental state of the perpetrators, be it the Russian political elite or simple soldiers. Even if the motives of the soldiers may be explained by having received an order, it is always a choice to maintain one's humanity. In the majority of cases, they don't choose it. Since the beginning of the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022, the Russian military and authorities have committed multiple war crimes in the form of deliberate attacks against civilian targets, massacres of civilians, torture and rape of women and children, torture and mutilation of Ukrainian prisoners of war and indiscriminate attacks in densely populated areas. The Russian military exposed the civilian population to unnecessary and disproportionate harm by using cluster munitions and by firing other explosive weapons with wide area effects such as bombs, missiles, heavy artillery shells and multiple launch rockets. The result of the Russian forces' attacks has been damage and destruction to civilian buildings including houses, hospitals, schools, kindergartens, nuclear power plants, historic buildings and churches. By February of 2023, a year into the conflict, the attacks had resulted in the documented death of more than 8,000 civilians, though the real death toll is presumed to be higher, while approximately 5,000 missile strikes 3,500 airstrikes and 1,000 drone strikes against Ukraine were recorded. After the Russian withdrawal from areas north of Kyiv, overwhelming evidence of war crimes by Russian forces was discovered. In particular, in the town of Bucha, evidence emerged of a massacre of civilians perpetrated by Russian troops, including torture, mutilation, rape, looting and deliberate killing of civilians. The UN Human Rights Monitoring Mission in Ukraine has documented the murder of at least 73 civilians, mostly men, but also women and children, in Bucha. More than 1,200 bodies of civilians were found in the Kyiv region after Russian forces withdrew, some of them summarily executed. There were reports of forced deportations of thousands of civilians, including children, to Russia, mainly from Russian-occupied Mariupol, as well as sexual violence, including cases of rape, sexual assault and gang rape and deliberate killing of Ukrainian civilians by Russian forces. Timothy Snyder, famous American historian and an expert on the Holocaust, addressed a conference International Law Against Genocide with a lecture proving the genocide intent by Russian leadership. First indicator of genocidal intent one could draw from colonial history, and it would be the description of a state as not a state. And general colonial powers, when encountering uh, other political units, did not recognize them as states. And that was generally the prologue to an indicator of a, a coming genocide. A second indicator comes from the 20th century. And that is the description of a people as not a people, a society as not a society, a nation as, as not a nation. So a social group is encountered, but it's not recognized as, as such. 
A third indicator also coming from the 20th century, but of course also there, there are examples from before, but the, the third indicator would be the denial that people are human. So you encounter individuals, but you claim that for one reason or another, they're not actually human beings. A fourth indicator that we have from the late 20th century and into the present is retrospective. It's when people deny that a previous genocide has taken place, which in fact means that they desire to commit the genocide or the kind of genocide they're talking about. The obvious example here would be neo-Nazis who deny the Holocaust. And of course, the meaning of that is not that they factually deny the Holocaust. The meaning of it is that they desire such an event to take place. Another indicator now moving from history into the present or into a theory which is decades old, but which is very much present around the world now um, is what we now call replacement. The idea that other people are coming, they're taking our space, um, they're replacing us and therefore we're right to replace them. Something like that was actually very present in the Nazi view of the world. And it is also very present as I'm going to claim in Putin's view of the world. The final indicator, which is very much from the present day not historical, but which I think is worth mentioning because without it, it's hard to understand contemporary Russian practice. The final thing which is worth mentioning is a postmodern indicator. The postmodern indicator is that you, you overload the system. You basically supply so much evidence of genocide, both in, in theory and in practice, both in statements and in deeds, that people begin to ask, um, well, is this really genocide? And I really, I, I realize that might sound paradoxical, but I think the problem of anything today is not that there's a lack of evidence. I think the problem of anything today is the overabundance of evidence, both in terms of the, the perpetration and in terms of the intention. And the very overabundance leads to a kind of perverse cycle where people think, I'm not sure this is genocide. And then they say, well, there's all this evidence, but therefore to, be, to convince me that it's genocide, I need still more evidence. And that cycle can continue indefinitely. And, and the standard for what genocide is, is then indefinitely raised. And I believe that's what's actually happening. I don't think the genocidal practices, and I'm sure this has been discussed elsewhere, are really in doubt. Every single practice that's mentioned in the second paragraph, the 1948 convention has obviously been, been carried out. And, I, I, and I'm sure you all know that in the 1948 convention, it's not just the genocide itself, but it's also incitement to genocide, which is listed as a crime, um, just as much as a crime. After Russian forces withdrew from Bucha, north of Kyiv, at the end of March of 2022, videos emerged showing at least nine apparently dead bodies lying in the street in the residential area of the town. Journalists who visited the area reported seeing at least 20 corpses in civilian clothing. On the 1st of April, AFP reported that at least 20 bodies of civilians lay in the streets of Bucha, with at least one of the bodies having tied hands. Mayor of the city, Anatoly Fedoruk, said that these individuals had all been shot in the back of the head. Fedoruk also said that around 270 or 280 individuals from the city had to be buried in mass graves. In Vorzel, west of Bucha, Russian soldiers killed a woman and her 14-year-old child after throwing smoke grenades into the basement in which they were hiding. On the 15th of April, local police reported more than 350 bodies found in Bucha following the withdrawal of Russian forces and said most died of gunshot wounds.
Video footage from a drone verified by the New York Times showed two Russian armored vehicles firing at a civilian walking with a bicycle. A separate video filmed after the Russian withdrawal showed a dead person wearing civilian clothing matching the drone footage lying next to a bicycle. They reported an account of a survivor of a mass execution. After getting trapped at the checkpoint when it came under the fire from Russian artillery, the man was captured by Russian soldiers, along with the construction workers he was sheltering with at the checkpoint. The soldiers moved them to a nearby building being used as a Russian base, strip-searched them, bat and tortured them, then took them to the side of the building to shoot and kill them. The man was shot in the side, but survived by playing dead and later fleeing to a nearby home. News also reported that bodies of civilians found in a local temple had their hands and legs tied and that some were also crushed by a tank. You are listening to Ukraine Global. This edition of Ukraine Global is about the war crimes Russia has been committing in Ukraine for more than a year, and how we can work out the solutions to ending this bloody conflict. Stay tuned to Radio Ukraine International. On the 15th of September 2022, after Russian forces were driven out of Izum in the Kharkiv counteroffensive, a large number of mostly unmarked graves was found in the woods close to the city. Amid the trees were hundreds of graves with simple wooden crosses, most of them marked only with numbers, whilst one of the larger graves bore a marker saying it contained the bodies of at least 17 Ukrainian soldiers. According to Ukrainian investigators, 447 bodies were discovered, 414 bodies of civilians, 215 men, 194 women and 5 children, 22 servicemen and 11 bodies whose gender had not yet been determined as of the 23rd of September. While a minority of the casualties were caused by artillery fire and from lack of health care, most of the dead showed signs of violent death and 30 presented traces of torture and summer execution, including ropes around their necks, bound hands, broken limbs and genital amputation. Timothy Snyder underlines the several aspects of understanding genocide. They are all connected to historical examples. One is the denial that people are humans and have the right to their own independent country. Putin has been denying that Ukraine is a state since at least 2011, um, very clearly in 2013, before the run-up to this war in 2014. There was an onrush of such rhetoric in 2021, including a very long and specific essay. And during the war, there's been a systematic refusal to recognize the Ukrainian state as such, to recognize the Ukrainian government as such, or to recognize Ukrainian officials as such. And the way I'm putting it is very euphemistic. In fact, there's a systematic practice of applying abusive language to all institutions that might be Ukrainian. The second indicator from the 20th century is the denial that a people is a people. And here, of course, Hitler provides a very good example with the discussion of the Jews. In Mein Kampf and elsewhere, Hitler describes the Jews as not being of this earth. They're not attached to the land. They don't belong where they are. And this is actually strikingly similar to the way that Ukrainians are discussed by Putin and in Russian propaganda generally. The notion is that in Ukraine, there are real people, and those real people are Russians, but somehow they're governed by a thin layer of exotics, of people from elsewhere. 
propagandists refer to these people variously as having been Poles or Habsburgs or Nazis or Jews or Europeans. It doesn't really matter though. The theory is always the same. The people who call themselves Ukrainians are somehow from elsewhere. They don't really belong on the land. They are servants of an international conspiracy. Their loyalties are somehow elsewhere. And from that theory, it follows that if these people can be exterminated, then the natural order will be restored. The right people will be on the land and they will un understand themselves the way that they belong. That is the logic of Mein Kampf. And it's a logic on display on Russian television today. The third indicator from the 20th century also is the denial that people are human. Um, and here I'll, I'll stay with that same clip from, from Pavel Gubarov, or I could also mention um, the ending of a recent propaganda program, uh, the most important one led by a man called Solovyov, where we are confronted with the idea that Ukrainians are possessed, that the reason why there is Ukraine is that people are possessed by the devil. Now, this might seem like it could be something that's easily sub dismissed as laughable, but it is pretty widespread um, in Russian discussions of Ukraine. And one even finds it very prominently in the fascist theory of Ivan Ilin, who is a thinker who Mr. Putin has cited consistently um, over the last decade or more, and most recently on September 30th in his speech about the referenda. In this idea, um, Ukrainians are actually you know, servants of Satan. Um, this notion, of course, is very deeply rooted in, in Russian Christian nationalism or Russian Christian fascism, where, of course, Satan is associated with the Jews. So here we have an actual Nazi idea. The fourth criterion that I mentioned is the retrospective one, the denial that a genocide took place. And again, there's abundant evidence of this. Um, the, the memory laws in the USSR, which forbid people from speaking of the 1939 alliance with Hitler, were strengthened right before this war began. The official, um, the official policy on the Holodomor in Ukraine um, has been strengthened as this war has gone on. Um, a, a, a monument to Holodomor, as I'm sure all of you know, was just brought down in occupied Mariupol. The gist of the Russian argument about Holodomor is that there couldn't have been a political motive, it was simply a natural disaster or some kind of administrative exercise. Meanwhile, even as Russians are saying this, they're trying to cut off water supplies and cut off power supplies so Ukrainians will suffer and, and die in the millions. At 11.28 p.m. local time, on the 3rd of March 2022, a column of 10 Russian armored vehicles and two tanks cautiously approached at the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant, Europe's largest. The action commenced at 12.48 on the 4th of March, when Ukraine's forces fired anti-tank missiles and Russian forces responded with a variety of weapons, including rocket-propelled grenades. During approximately two hours of heavy fighting, a fire broke out in a training facility outside of the main complex, which was extinguished by 6.20 am, though other sections surrounding the plant sustained damage. That evening, the US Embassy in Kyiv described the Russian attack on the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant as a war crime, though the US State Department quickly retracted this claim with the circumstances of the attack being studied, and the Pentagon declining to describe the attack as a war crime. As of December of 2022, it was reported that about 3,400 Ukrainian servicemen remained in Russian captivity, and 15,000 people were considered missing. 
prisoners of war combatants who have fallen into the hands of the enemy and they are protected by international humanitarian law, in particular by the Geneva Conventions of 1949. Among others, the Geneva Convention forbids violence against people in captivity, murders, mutilations, ill-treatment, torture and insults to human dignity, offensive and humiliating treatment. But Russia is not particularly known for respecting international law. It has been committing war crimes in Ukraine since 2014, when it first invaded, and in a year of a full-scale war, numerous cases of mistreatment, abuse and even execution of Ukrainian prisoners of war were recorded. On the 1st of April 2022, 86 Ukrainians returned home, 15 women among them. Many had their heads shaved clean. Those women were forced to go through a lot, to undress completely in the presence of men, squat down and cut their hair. They were interrogated again and again in the cell, recalled Anastasia Matrushchenko, one of the released Ukrainian defenders. It is pretty simple to understand the motives of the Russian political elite who ordered horrible war crimes in Ukraine. They want to keep the power in their hands. They have two options – either prison or continuation of the war. So they won't stop. Still, it is very painful to realize that Putin triggered the already existing hatred, anger and superiority towards Ukrainians instilled in Russian minds and then just stimulated by propaganda. Looks like almost Hitler's scenario. Sadly, this is an attitude we had ignored for years and pretended that nothing was happening or that the matter lacked severity. We need to work on solutions to get out of this war we didn't launch, but the war we need to finish. We need to formulate concrete political and military steps towards ending this war with the Ukrainian political elite and ordinary sober-minded Ukrainians and the military fighting on the front line. Then the war will end sooner than later. And that was the weekly program Ukraine Global, prepared by Victoria Krukova, presented by Vadim Kramer and produced by Irina Samsonova. In the next edition we are going to find out more about the war crimes Russia had committed in other parts of the world over the years.